All right, welcome once again to another stop on the Michelle Mission. I am your host, Vincent Williams of It's All Soul, 8 to 10 Wednesdays on G-Town Radio, joined as always by... Yo, what's up, Holla, your boy. This is Len, a.k.a. the Bat Tribble. And as we continue once again on our journey through October with spooky ooky movies and films... It's like a Star Trek ghost sound. We are joined. Space Phantom. We are joined once again by Ashley from Girls Will Be Ghouls. And GraveyardChipSisters.com. Hi. Damn, did I mess it up again? No, I, I, Y'all I, don't know. This is the second time we tried it. I'm doing Take too 12. much. That's what it is. I'm doing too much. So there's so much. You know, Ashley does this. Ashley does that. So I, I. And I'm so busy trying to remember Rusty Kundiev. Yeah, that's yeah, that's how I've heard it pronounced. Right, right. So. That I messed your name up. But we're joined <laughs> once again by Ashley. And tonight we are going to critique, talk about, observe, disassemble, put back together Rusty Kundiev's nineteen ninety five anthology, Tales from the Hood. But before we do that, we have a bit of business, a bit of piece of mail, a little this, a little that. What we got over there? Um, yes, we got actually a, um, message. Okay. A Facebook message. We appreciate everyone that hits Every us up. Every single one. Sends us emails at, uh, michellemission at gmail.com or likes us on Twitter and follows us on, uh, Facebook. We got a message from Robert Monroe Jr. All right. What's up, Robert? who um, wrote in to say, he said, uh, Vince, when you were running down the things that, you know, you cannot have in your horror movies. I, I, yes. Uh, he he wrote that, Vince, when you said puppets, I laughed so hard my stomach hurt. That's right. I, I, on the other hand, will most definitely see a horror movie that has the devil, ghosts, kids, and puppets in it. And you may need to take a Xanax before watching Tales from the Hood. Well, we're going to talk about Tales from the Hood momentarily, Robert. And I think you are right talking about, I think one of the things that we need to talk about is just how scary was it. Yeah. I will say this. Anybody who says the Pinocchio song, I don't, have, I don't need strings isn't creepy as hell is lying really pinocchio in general like pinocchio that's a that's a tough movie pinocchio has been used uh there's a documentary on horror films on the history of them and one of the second well, one of the parts they did talk about how pinocchio was really terrifying even for children so good point yeah yeah so there you go puppets marionettes yeah I, I, ventriloquist I, dummies oh ventriloquist dummies are like Oh, Ovintrunka's oh, dummies are scary, but puppets aren't. I guess, for, I guess for some reason the puppets I never find. Well, first of all, no, I, for some reason puppets I don't find scary. Now I do hear you, uh, and second you on the whole dolls thing. I mean, I'll still watch the film, right? But dolls do creep me out. They, 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 and ventriloquist dummies. I mean, ventriloquist dummies. I think they really creeped me out because I was much too young. One of those films, because everyone has those films that you see when you, you right, you, right, no right. business seeing, right. 
And the movie that yes. I saw when I had no business seeing was Magic. Oh, oh yeah, yeah that's ridiculous. That yeah, <laughs> yeah, which uh, stars a, if I remember, a very young Anthony Hopkins. Yes, in that film as a ventriloquist, mm-hmm. um, who dummy just has him going on this crazy murder uh, spree. If as I as the, the dummies do. Yes, as dummies <laughs> are wont to do. Yes, yes, and. And because of that, because I saw that at such a young age, and then not long after that, there was an episode of Night Gallery. Yeah, that had a ventriloquist. That's right. It sure it. was. And I don't know what happened in the episode. I just saw that they went, cut to a ventriloquist dummy, and I said, "Well, goodbye." Yeah. And the TV went off. And Night Gallery was tough too, because if you were a young sci-fi kid, like I'm assuming you yes. were, you saw Rod Serling, and mm-hmm. you said, "Oh, this is on the a Twilight, Twilight Zone. Zone type vibe." But Night Gallery would get scary. Yes, it would. I mean, Twilight Zone. I was I was actually thinking, what's the Twilight Zone episode? With the doll. With the doll. And yeah. at the very end, she says, like, my name is whatever her name was so like. Talking Tina. Like Talking Tina. Yeah. And yeah. her head turns and says, and you better be good to me. Mm-hmm. And then it goes off. Like, what is that? Yeah. Well, the, the doll was like trying to kill the father. Like, the whole Oh, no, no, no. But right. The doll had killed a couple of people. And that, like, that's the last thing. The woman gets the doll and the doll turns her head and says, and you better be good to me. It's like, see. But yes. Yes, Robert. Dolls. We will talk about puppets. And dolls this evening, of course. Uh, he also went in saying that we need to check out on um, Amazon. I guess it's uh, an Amazon, you know, recommendation for the Michelle Mission and for follow the followers of the Michelle Mission from 1991. Screenplays of the African American experience, blacks in the diaspora. Oh, okay. Six independent African American filmmakers, including Charles Burnett director of the film to sleep with anger are represented in this collection by screenplays produced from 73 to 89 speaking in their own voice a black voice which has resisted the cultural dominance of hollywood phyllis rauk uh klotman introduces each screenplay provides a biographical sketch of the filmmaker and lists the cast and production credits for each film and the films are Sidewalk Stories. Okay, I've a, never seen that. A Different Image. Never seen that. Illusions. Never seen that. Losing Ground. Saw that. Killer of Sheep. Didn't see that, but we talked about watching that. And Ganja and Hess. Boom. <laughs> wow. So that's a, that's very interesting. And that can be got on a, a hardcover okay. on Amazon for just a just a little less than ten dollars. Yeah, so you should probably get that too, Ashley. I think the um, article. I think she wrote it, co-wrote it with Manthea Diawara, if I'm remembering correctly, because that that name is so familiar, Phyllis Klotman. The um, the article she did on Ganja and Hess is is available online if you want it. Like the link for. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. All right. Nice. Cool. That's dope. Yeah. So cool. Well, so thank you, Robert. Thank you, Robert, as always, for your thoughts and your kind recommendation uh, speaking about ganja and has real quick before we get into tales from the hood uh while we were waiting for you vince me and well, you guys just put me i mean you had to make it a matter of record that i was late like what's that 
you could have not even been late. You could have just been in the other room. And y'all but were. Now but now, late. now it's a matter of record. Okay, I'll just stop talking. <laughs> uh, me and Ashley, because she came here in her beautiful blood sucker Blackula shirt. Yes. We were talking about about um, horror films, specifically black horror films, that she surprised has not been remade yet. You know, mm-hmm. I had to remind her of Ganja and Hess being remade, which right, right, she right. has um, seemingly, you know, erased from <laughs> It's her like memory. it never happened. Pretty much. Okay. <laughs> but we were thinking we were thinking about that and um and, and thinking about that, I wondered if you had any thoughts on maybe a horror film you thought that a black horror film that might be uh worthy or well appropriately enough since we were preparing for our next show. Um, I actually thought JD's Revenge yeah. could be remade. Yeah. And and not even tweaked that much. No, nah, not really. Like not that much and I think it would it would have been that'd be a good film. I would actually you know, it, it's it's funny. I was reading an interview with Eddie Murphy and Eddie Murphy was talking about like movies that he's made and how things didn't work out. He always like like he was talking about a vampire in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And he said part of what went wrong with the vampire in Brooklyn very quickly was the wig. And, you know, just talking about, you know, just little things that make things go wrong. And appropriately enough, since we were talking about, I think both Blackula and Scream Blackula Scream could be remade. You just have to get that word Blackula out of it. And that's what I was thinking. I didn't say that with Len, but I was, it was that was in the back of my head. I'm just like, I don't know if the title Blackula would work, but the story itself could. Right, right. And, you know, if you've seen Blackula, I don't know how much the term Blackula is used in the movie. Maybe once. Right, like, because he's Prince, I forget his... his Mama Walde. Right, Mama Walde, like, that's his name, and, and no one ever calls him... That would be a good name for a movie. Blackula. So, would that ride though? Like, it, like if we're talking about this movie getting studio backing, would they go with Mama Walde? Well, no, but you know, like the curse of Mama Walde. Have you the read the Kim of... Newman vampire books? No, it's on my list though. Kim Newman had kind of put together is, is basically is basically like an Alan Moore Le- Legion of Extraordinary Gentlemen type thing, okay. where basically all of the vampire stuff, the movies, the books, everything actually happened. Okay, and then it's set in this alternative, you know, this alternate Earth. But there is a um, a little side plot where, as you're reading it, you realize, oh wait, that's Blackula. Okay, but when you remove all of the '70s Blackula stuff, I mean, it's a pretty engaging story. So I would say Blackula. I would say JD's Revenge. If you redid Blackula, would you keep it in the same? Or JD's Revenge? Would you keep it in? Not so much JD's Revenge, because I don't think that's necessarily time period specific outside of JD being back in the forties, right? But Blackula, would you keep it in the seventies? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. I mean, you know, I think everything could work as a period piece if it's approached. Mm-hmm. Same with Sugar Hill. I think is a good one. Sugar yeah. Hill is a good one. We were we were we were just talking about Sugar Hill. Mm-hmm. Sugar Hill would be a good one too. Anyway, all right. Yes, so that's interesting. Uh, a bit of conversation, ladies and gentlemen, that we've got going on. Um, we almost did Sugar Hill this month. Like I feel like I, Sugar, I feel like I Sugar Hill was it. shortlisted. Yeah. yeah, there'll be more Halloween. Yeah, there'll be, be more, more Halloween. All right, there you go. Right now, we are going to get into our review of Tales from the Hood. 
as In this neighborhood is a house where souls never rest. You're invited to share their secrets. I've been waiting for you, boys. You're invited to share their tales. Unless, of course, you're scared. Tales of madness. <laughs> of revenge. The gods don't want you there. They want reparation. <laughs> of horror. He thinks he needs to kill the monster. Now, your most terrifying nightmare and your most frightening reality are about to meet on the streets. And this is a trip, homie. I don't need nothing from no house of dead folks, okay? Death. It comes in many strange packages. The producer of Menace to Society and executive producer Spike Lee will take you to the outer limits of the inner city. Welcome to hell! <laughs> Tales from the Hood. Chill. Or be chilled. Hey, man, I don't need to be hearing this, man. Written and produced by Darren Scott. Written and directed by Rusty Kunda. Tales from the Hood. Uh, Rusty um, Kundiev's 1995 anthology was actually uh, um, 40 Acres in the Mule production. Yes, you know, it was was during that that kind of cool period where Spike Lee was producing films. Um, You have a a framing sequence where three young gangbangers are going to get some found drugs from uh, um, Funeral Parlor. And as they're there, the the funeral parlor director, played by Clarence Williams III, tells them stories about a series of of corpses that he's preparing for funerals. And each one of those stories spins into a small vignette, and then it ends with a surprising end. Well, not that surprising if you're paying attention in sequence. So, as we always do, and as we did before, Ashley. Yes. Why? Did you choose Tales from the Hood? Yeah, why did you choose Tales from well, the Hood? Well, first of all, you have to do every black horror film. Well, not, I'm sorry, every black film. Yes. So, let's get this one out of the way. I think it was a... <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> Tales from the Hood. Let's get this one out of the way. I wanted to do something drastically different from last week. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to do an anthology. I think it's... it's. Pr- I'm pretty sure Tales from the Hood is probably only a black horror anthology that exists i believe like that's oriented around um a black cast and uh you know uh, culturally relevant themes to black people Mm. more specifically in america so um it's one of my favorites from when i was a kid now keep in mind in 1995 i was 13 12 13 years old so yeah i mean this movie struck a chord with me seeing it because it was one of those rentals that my mom got. And it was one of those things that she did where she would watch a horror movie and I would be in the room for some, for whatever reason and I would get attached to it. So it was a movie that genuinely scared me. And I think it's because I, I was identifying with the characters on screen just, you know, based on, you know, um, cultural signifiers. Yeah. and um, Yeah. Oh, yeah. And also, they just, they, they look like me. They look like my brothers. They look like the kids I played with on the schoolyard. So, um, and I, I just, and I, and I kind of liked that, how 
as where Ganja and Hess seem more abstract, um, Tales from the Hood is a little bit more direct. And mm-hmm. for some for some people, I think it's a little too over the too to hit you a little bit too much over the head with its cultural commentary. And for some people, it's just right on the nose. And you know, when I was doing my own research for this film, uh, what was what I think what's important to um, realize and understand for some people who think it's a, a little over the top is that for that time it kind of fed an audience, especially an audience especially a, a black audience that wanted to see horror movies with people who looked like them in them that this was the movie that you know, I felt like the filmmakers wanted I felt like the filmmakers wanted to give this audience that they felt like they they felt like the audience wanted. If I'm saying, am I saying that correctly? I'm tongue, I'm getting tongue tied. Filmmakers gave the audience the film that they wanted. Yeah. Right. So, and I thought that was interesting. And there's always make. been a black horror film audience. Yeah, exactly. Right. That hasn't, as you said, hasn't necessarily been served directly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. And that's why I chose this one. And especially okay. th- this one is one that I could see why Spike would want to back it. Right. Because it's filled with like you say, a whole lot of social commentary right. that was very much, uh, very prominent in Spike in a lot of the films and and in a lot of the films that he was doing at this time and even just in a lot of the, the speak the speaking that he was doing, you know, right. he's right. always been on like the, you know, the uh, the circuit, you know, speaking at different colleges and things like that and these and this definitely touches on a lot of themes that of those uh, speeches that he was making, uh, especially when you really break it down, I think in, in uh, there's a lot of commentary on black men in this movie um, from all different aspects, from the young gangbangers to black men that you know um, uh, uh, who are married um, to. Uh, being abusive to women and to children, um, it, it touches on police brutality. Like, oh my god! Like, you know, has that never not been a subject? Um, he cast, you know. I think you when you go to cast a white jerk in the nineties, you cast Wing Hauer. I was, I was, I, I put down. Oh, it's Wing. Wings Howard, Wings Howard, like, yeah. yeah, yeah. He's like everybody. He's the he's the prototype yeah. for a black jerk in the nineties. I mean, white jerk, white jerk, the, right? In the nineties, um, uh, and like you say, this is a film that does it does hit you over the head, and it just it. I mean, it's like banging you upside the head with the messages, and some of them, some of them, it hits you so hard that. It, it takes you out of the story a little bit to a degree, but some of them when played right, really, really hit home. And the one that the story that hit home the, the most to me, um, and I'm not quite sure exactly what was the name of that. Um, it was the story of, with, here we go. Oh yeah. Boys. Yeah, boys do get, do get bruised. I had boys a feeling you were going to say yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that one. Just like, I mean, is it fair to say that's the best one? Like, like is is there a consensus that that's the best one? It I, well, as of last night, watching it with fresh pair of eyes. I, yes. I think that's the best one. I think it's I think it's the best one story with a marriage of the story, the acting, 
and the special effects. Right, right, right. Um, the themes are sort of played, you, you know. It, it's, uh, it's not too. And when you think about it, it really, you know, it doesn't lean too hard on the whole horror aspect of it outside mm-hmm. of just the right, know, right. The, the comeuppance at the end. Right. Um, so in that way, it is the best. It is the best. But the one with Corbin Burnson, um, oh, the KKK, KKK comeuppance. That's a that's a little that, that's memorable as well. Right. The Absolutely. Lot, and you can you can tell on that one. You can see where the budget went. Right, 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 right. <laughs> and, and the entire way. budget went to that. With, with, well, we have dolls. Yes. We and do. now we have dolls. Yes. And, and But they're very well done. Very well done. Very well done. Um, so I think it may be – it's an anthology. So I think mm-hmm. it may be fair to to go through the stories. At least yeah. Give them to people yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. one by one. And, and if we do, we start with, and then we'll, you know, we'll end with the whole framing sequence. Right. And the first story is um, Road Cop Revelation, Road Cop Revelation, where you have uh, a young black police officer, Clarence Smith, played by Anthony Griffith, taken out by his new partner, Newton, uh, played by Michael Massey, to the scene of what initially appears to be a routine traffic stop of a well-dressed black man. However, he soon learns that the man is, in fact, Martin Morehouse. I mean, like even the names are. Yeah. It, it is. The it names. is. <laughs> um, it's not a subtle film. Well, no, it's not. Uh, a, a Martin Martin Morehouse, a city councilman and blacks right activist who has recently been on a crusade to eliminate police corruption in the city. Well, he rolled into the wrong spot <laughs> because uh, um, police officers, white police officers, Billy and Strom, played by Dwayne Whitaker and Wings Hauser, brutally beat Morehouse with their nightsticks, vandalize his car, set him up, and, and basically pump him full of drugs and kill pump him. Pump him full of drugs. And all while... Drive him off the pier. While the young black officer is just basically standing there and not doing anything. He, I right. mean, he, he raises a little bit of like, hey, guys, right. don't. Yeah. Yes, yes. And then, uh, but you know, long lo and behold, he still doesn't do anything, and that comes back to haunt him. Yeah. When uh, Morehouse returns from the dead uh, a year later, what do you think of Rogue's Cop Revelation, Ashley? When you were talking about um, all the different aspects, especially with um, uh, depictions of black men in this film, and I'll get into my little bit of critique, I guess, a little bit later. But um, I think it more—I guess you kind of see it kind of comes around more towards the end. It kind of touches on mental illness a little bit. Um, it, it, and I guess, I guess, and not even touches. I guess it just kind of like pokes at it a little bit because um, this, because Clarence was kind of haunted by his his non-decisions of or not doing the right thing like he's in action yeah Yeah. he's in action but that but it came but if i don't yeah god it does come back to me because at the end i will you know at at the end you see he's basically been um admitted to an insane asylum right um so i guess it does ultimately come back to like maybe he, he, he you know he went crazy but yeah, but that wasn't really the story. That's the. No. But but I don't know for some reason I thought of that because I guess I kind of wanted more from it. Uh, it, it was really it, it really played up the um, 
the the horror factor i guess if you talk about kind of the revenge aspect and the revenge mm-hmm. of the undead and um that's yeah that this was one that was really pretty much underwhelming for me because it was very straightforward for me i guess if that makes any sense like right. it's it you know um even though again the the playing of strange fruit when morehouse is being <laughs> was being beaten again over the top it, it was it yeah. was a lot it, it, and, I mean, and for cool. some reason, I think I understood what they were going for, but for some reason, it came off as inappropriate when they were playing that. Right, mm-hmm. right. You know, like, well, because it's, I mean, again, it's so over the top. I mean, I think yeah. what, what what hit me watching it this time is that the whole thing is, is a, a EC Comics riff. Like it's yeah. Tales yeah. from the Crypt, and, yeah. and you know yeah. he's the Crypt Keeper, and and you know EC, if you've ever read any of those old fifties comics, they're always over the top. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always you know the great evil, and then you you know the comeuppance. You, you know this kind of really stringent moral code yeah. that you have. I um you know I was underwhelmed too. One thing that I really liked a lot, I thought the use of the murals. As as yeah, sort of cool. you know this this sort of tonal this tonal aspect to to kind of show the horror the horror I I like that a lot and and that was there were a couple of times throughout the film where you had sort of these and it's funny you were talking about it when you said you saw it as a kid mm-hmm. these kind of culturally specific markers mm-hmm. that are then used in a horror context. And you you know you know here in Philadelphia we we were like a city of murals, so to see the you know sort of the the urban mural and and kind of it, it being used as part of this and then you know it ends with, and again this is what made me think of EC Comics because it's always the body horror yeah. that happens mm-hmm. and you, you know the the sort of ironic body horror so you know the the policeman is is shot with the with the needles and then he becomes part of this horrific mural. Yeah. So I like, which was actually very well done. Yeah. Oh yeah. But you know, I mean, it was, it it was the first, it was the first vignette. It's interesting that it was the first vignette in that, you know, because the whole framing sequence is that, you know, Clarence Williams is showing each of the guys in the funeral home, someone in the casket and the person in the casket is the cop is the black, the young black cop. Yet the film, yet that vignette doesn't end with, or you don't see the the young black cop's death. Right. So it's yeah. almost like, to me, you know, I think they kind of like wrote themselves into a little bit of corner and they threw a little exposition to 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 get over on it. Um, but the one aspect I did like about this, as much as over the top as it was, I liked that the young cop didn't get off. Right, mm. that he didn't get off for his inaction, because even if his, even if you know it was him, it would have been him against three white cops. Right. Yeah. Ultimately, he probably wouldn't have been able to do anything. But the fact that he didn't do anything and he stood there for the most part, like mute to the whole thing, and didn't report them after didn't the fact, didn't report it afterwards at all. You know, I like that he that he got called on a carpet for that, and and. To a degree, only because I knew that his body was supposed to end up in the uh, in the coffin when he, you know, the the specter, the evil guy turns the, the the last white guy into a part of the mural. I would have loved for him to have done that to the black cop. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I, that just seemed like so, so gruesome to be part of that and then be part of this mural 
almost as if you were like alive to witness your punishment right and mm-hmm. forevermore just be you know tormented by that so i would have loved for i would have loved for that flip but i knew that they couldn't do that because of the hole they had written themselves into but um yeah it was a little underwhelming it wasn't well done because they do have this whole time lapse where the story jumps ahead a year i was like when did this jump ahead a year right i did not i there was no one year later anything like well that. you could tell it's a story that needed more more breathing room yeah like it could have been developed more but you know it had to fit into this slot right because i was still i still to this day don't understand the symbolism of the cross yeah I yeah. don't get that because you have more houses on the cross and then the white cop, um, the one white cop who becomes a part of the mural becomes like he was kind like of he's like, crucified. Yeah. And just like, I, would it, I, I'm tr- I still don't understand what that's trying to say. I think they don't. They, I think they didn't have uh, their their hands really on exactly what they wanted to get across. They exactly. Knew kind of like what themes they wanted. But what they wanted to really um, investigate with that, I don't think they really had their hands on it, and it showed ultimately. After Road Cop Revelation, we go to, that's when we went to Boys Do Get Bruised. Boys Do Get Bruised. With Walter Johnson, played by a very young Brandon Hammond, a young, quiet, sensitive boy, um, is uh, in school, and he is teacher richard garvey played by rusty Condiev. yeah the director the, the the director uh notices bruises and asks what happens walter claims that he was attacked by a monster a few days later uh rusty um after seeing a, a few more incidents of this rusty decides to go to Br- walter's house where he meets his mother sissy played by paula j walk parker Asking her about the about the murder, uh, the monster. Sissy claims that Walter's injuries are the result of his own clumsiness, and she then tells Walter to not reveal anything about the monster to anyone else. Not uh, before Garvey can leave. Sissy's boyfriend Carl, played by David Allen Greer, comes home, and soon everything plays out in such a way that we learn that it is in fact Carl who is the monster. Yes. That has been terrorizing this home, um, Walter and Sissy alike. Vince, what were your thoughts on Boys Do Get Bruised? Well, this was cool. this was easily my favorite vignette of the of the film. I, th- I thought um, I thought that the the players in the film were great. I, m- I mean, David Allen Greer as sort of this monster character, like if if, if you know, you, you weren't so familiar with him as a comedic actor. Yeah. It would be just like, wow, you know, you usually see him, but you know, is like, I think he's like a Yale trained actor. Yes, so, he is. so, you know, he really gets across the menace. I mean, by the end, he is kind of over the top, but there's, there's like 45 seconds when he first comes in. Yeah. Where he and Paula J. Parker are kind of playing off of each other and you see the fear and you see the intimidation mm-hmm. where he's fantastic. You know, I've always said that um, Brandon Hammond, who, you know, most of us know from uh, probably Soul Food, probably Soul Food. He plays the, um, the the narrator in Soul Food is one of the most underrated kid actors of the past 15. Like, I never understood why he didn't work more. 
So, you know, he's fantastic. I just really like Paula J. Parker. I always like Paula <laughs> J. Parker. I always, I always wanted Paula J. Parker to work more. And I think talking about this as a horror movie, this one worked for me the most because it was the most of it was from the perspective of um, Walter. Mm-hmm. You, yeah. you know, so that and you and I thought it did a great job kind of conveying that fear yeah. that you have as a kid in the dark. And, you know, there were these wonderful sequences where, you know, the door cracks open and you hear something. And, you know, a- again, you, you get the body horror at the end with, with him kind of crumpling up the paper. But, you know, for the most part. That, you know, I thought this this part was very well done, almost to the point where it almost felt like it was from a different movie. Yeah, yeah, it was real world horror. What do you think about this one, Ashley? No, I totally agree. Um, I love when Clarence Williams the Third he kind of introduces it as like you know perception reality. I love that because again, because Clarence, we all love Clarence. He that that subtle just those beats he was hitting when using those terms. It was it. For me, it immersed me into the film, into this particular um, vignette before it even started. And this is, again, another example of when horror films use use children or children's stories, like, masterfully. And I, uh, yes, I'm saying masterfully, um, because I really love this, the idea of, yeah, you're seeing you're seeing this you're seeing this story through the eyes of this child. So it kind of like and it and it works great because you. It's interesting because I always because now I'm thinking about it even more. So I'm just like, you know, was he really a monster or was he really a monster? You know what I mean? Okay. It's, it's those I, I kind of re- I really like that play. And I like that that, you know, as an audience member, your your perception is is distorted as well. But again, because be, because you are so invested in Walter, it you 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 believe it and. You you would even believe it regardless. Uh, again, I don't know if I'm making much sense, but because I feel like he said, um, I th- feel like Vince said everything um, just perfectly. But yeah, it's my favorite too for sure. I think he I think he he as far as the whole monster, whether or not you know David Allen Greer's character was a monster, he was a monster, but he was a real world monster. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know the fact that how I think Clarence, I mean, excuse me, Clarence Walter, you know, actually. Um, created this monstrous image in his mind almost as a way of trying to detach from from that reality mm-hmm. yeah. because the reality is not only is it like you know this man coming in here and beating on me this is a man that you know has been welcomed into my house that my mother is telling me that I should be you know I don't have to fear so you know, is there is there some kind of duality there that I'm just not seeing as a child? Is it actually right. truly a monster right. that's coming mm-hmm. into this door? And then when I walk out the door and I go I go downstairs, I see this man kissing on on my mother. Is, could that actually be the same person? You know what I mean? So I think it, I think that's where the the whole monster aspect of it of it is. The horror really doesn't. Culture Kings is a podcast on the How Stuff Works Network, hosted by comedians Jaquise Neal and Edgar Montplacier. 
Every Wednesday and Friday, these two friends dive into topics ranging from sports, music, to movies, style. They wonder whether or not Donald Glover is a genius or a weirdo. They continuously decipher Kanye West's tweets and behavior. They also have recurring segments like Queen of the Week, The List, and Top 5s like Marvel Movies and Video Games. Listen to Culture Kings and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and find out the best way to eat a taco. Oh. What's the best way to eat a taco, Vince? With your hands? With your hands. Also, with salsa on top of everything to hold the ingredients down. It's like a layer. It's the layer. Right. So that the lettuce doesn't fall off. Can't have falling lettuce. Until the comeuppance, like you say, the whole crumpling and how, you know, his body starts getting twisted with as he crumples the paper where he drew the picture of the monster as he as he saw him in his mind. Again, another part where, you know, the effects were very well done. Yeah, it was uh, it was like it, it was just really cool. I took note of David Allen Greer in this as well, too. Right in the beginning, he was he was very understated in how he was um, in his acting. I mean, David Allen Greer, whether he's doing comedy or drama or whatever, he just raises the level of yeah, everything mm-hmm. that he's Absolutely. in. Absolutely. I mean, he's just a phenomenal actor. Um, and if you ever heard like an interview up with him, you know, he talks about all the people that he went to school with and his training and everything. Oh, yeah, yeah. Fantastic guy. Saw him in Broadway and Porgy and Bess. He's amazing. Um, this was it was just really very very cool very it 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 hit home for me um not that I've ever been victim of that or anything like that but I know children that have right and I know children uh I know women that have done mm-hmm. dealt with that right in that same situation and it was very uh it was a little it was a little it was a little hard yeah, oh yeah. Watching it. Like, you know, especially when he punches Paula J. Walker, you know, I know uh, unfortunately a few women that right. have had that same thing, have been in that exact same situation. Um so that was uh so um a little rough. And I think that may be one of the reasons why it did hit home. I also liked that, you know, the teacher, as much as he was trying to be the hero, right, he wasn't the hero. Right. Right. He exactly. Wasn't, he wasn't a hero at all. Actually, you needed to get out of the way. Right. You know, just go grow your locks. I right. Heard, I heard that scene was severely cut, and it almost got an X rating because there was there was much more uh, brutality to the physical parts of that the end of that vignette. So when he's beating her, we we didn't get the more severe. Wow. So more. So more of of him beating her. Right. I wow. think yeah, I think it was more toward yeah, it was more towards him if I'm remembering this correctly, but yeah, cuz I just read this um these little tidbits last night, but yeah. Right, right. It's um, a tough scene. Mm-hmm. And you know, again, if you're going to watch one vignette from this, this is the one I'd recommend. Yeah. That that just again again speaks to the, you know, they had to cut it and what was in there is still a little yeah. rough. Oh yeah. See. Um and that again just speaks to the the different tones uh, culturally that we have towards, you know, violence towards women. Um, like, cause you know, if that, if this movie comes out now, you know, it may, people yeah. might be feeling some type of way about it. 
Next, we have KKK come up and slave puppets. <laughs> with, uh, Duke Duke Megger, <laughs> played by Corbin Burson, is an obnoxious and racist Southern senator and a former member of the Ku Klux Klan. He's just like banged the drum, like just yes. like, like hit it upside that mouth. Yeah. Uh, the senator is in his office filming a campaign commercial when he sees protesters outside the office. Jewish and African American groups have teamed up to protest against Duke for being a racist, a former Klansman. And for setting up his office at an old slave plantation. One individual, in fact, <laughs> Eli, guy. played by Art Evans, tells the reporter that the plantation <laughs> is haunted by dolls animated by the souls of the previously tortured slaves. And he warns everybody that this is not a myth. It's not a myth. Oh, Art Evans. I mean, Meanwhile, oh, Art Evans. Meanwhile, Duke and his African American image maker, Rhodey, played by Vince's favorite That's actor, Roger. Uh, Gouverneur Smith, Gouverneur Smith. Malcolm, <laughs> notices my a, dude. a large painting of Ms. Cobbs, a hoodoo witch with oh her dolls. <laughs> Duke says racial slurs to Rhodey, who attempts to ignore his rantings. Duke also refers to the dolls as Negro dolls. And then one of the dolls is seen under the floorboards as Rhodey leaves and let the horror begin. Asher, I think you have to start this one. I started the last one with, with, the, with the nice, understated, real-world commentary of spousal and child abuse, both physical and mental. So I guess this you one, get to talk about slave voodoo dolls. I guess this one was brought in for balance. <laughs> there wasn't a dry eye in the house, meaning everyone was laughing so hard at the at the just race race one, racism one hundred and one from Cor- Corbin Burnson. Oh my goodness! Yes, when the action starts. Um, yeah, this was. <laughs> <laughs> this is one I specifically remembered as a kid because, like, m- my mother just lost her ever loving mind <laughs> with laughter because it was just so <laughs> over the top. But um, I, I don't even. I don't know what to say to be honest with you. <laughs> Um, I I loved it. <laughs> I loved every freaking minute of it. <laughs> I love watching because I because I'm a Cornbread Burson fan, mm-hmm. so I loved and you could tell to me. I mean, I'm sure the man doesn't. I I don't think he isn't true real life a racist. Right, right. Like hopefully that. not. And yet and still, I think he was having fun. Oh yeah, yeah. he oh, was having yeah. a good time. It wasn't a piece of scenery that he didn't eat. No. no, I mean he he was getting. He was like, as far as he was concerned, yo, I'm doing an episode of Twilight Zone. Yeah, and I'm I'm going for it. And he leans into the Negro dolls and all you. I mean, he leans in on it. Yeah, man. he is going for it, having such a good time. Um, and then the. As you see the dial underneath, you see the dial underneath the house, and you just know, like, oh, this is just this is going to be. And the violins. Violins equal violins equal doom. Let's just face it. Let's let's just face it. There's nothing like you know, the trumpet is sexy. Violins are scary. Yeah, it's as simple as that. Um. Everyone is having. I mean, everyone is having fun to me in this in this little vignette. I swear to God, the little stop motion dolls are having fun. They're like, because I did find them creepy though. They like just the creepy. image of them. Yeah, they were. Was a lot. 
Yeah, they were a little creepy. So that was a lot. They were a little creepy. Because they weren't even, because, like, I kept waiting for the, because for the most part, he's tortured by this one doll. Right. And I kept waiting for them to, like, change his the, the doll's features, arch it just a little bit, like, giving him, like, razor sharp teeth or, like, almost, like, skull-like features. But no, he just looks like a little black underfed slave just, it still looks creepy. It though. is creepy, yeah, it but it is the, creepy. And then they all, then all the dolls come, and I was like, okay, let's hurry, let's go ahead and get to the next one. I ain't like. It's it. interesting because for a movie that's quote urban horror, so to speak, it like I like how they brought in the country aspect of it. They brought in oh, southern gothic tropes. Yes, yes they did. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Did. And you know, for better or worse, for people who are um, who are practitioners of that particular. Um, a spiritual practice like hoodoo or voodoo or whatever you want to call it. I, I don't know how accurate it is, but um, I don't think but it's I that yeah I I like the concept of um of of what our ancestors went through and how the idea of placing their placing you know their the spirits souls. yeah the spirits mm-hmm. in some kind of a conduit that's still on earth until they find their way to wherever they're supposed to go. I think that's really interesting yeah. and that and again it's creepy and. But like, okay, so you place your souls in these dolls until you figure out where you're going. Where are you trying to go? It's, it's, it depends it's, on hey, your, we're, your, we're enslaved your, peoples. It's it's we don't have a whole lot of options. So you just came back to get back you in just, this one dude. You, you just kind of waiting. I um I, I thought Corbin Burnson was over the top as the kind of politician kind of bringing America back and bring. But you know I've lived through this presidential election. <laughs> So it's like, and and I do think, you you know, there is this, I mean, you have to squint and kind of talk about this movie for an hour at a table with people who also took the film seriously to see it. But there is this kind of subtextual kind of push and pull about the myth of the American South. You know, this kind of, I wish I lived in Dixie mint juleps versus the actual brutality. Okay. So, you know, when he says, you know, I moved into the house and his whole shtick about, you know, he, he, he comes out and almost says, make America great again. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. he uses all of that kind of, you know, that, that language, that encoded language that we know what it really means Mm -hmm. about American values and a true American and a real American. And this house represents those old values and yeah, literally the house is on top of these enslaved spirits. And so, you know. Yeah, no, and so two things. So, yeah, because you remember he's yelling at the one doll about you, you get no reparations. Maybe maybe <laughs> the house being uh, unused or maybe that's reparations. Maybe that's their 40 acres yeah, sands the mule. True. You know right. what I mean? Maybe that house itself, that property that those slaves helped build mm-hmm. and the wealth that followed is a part of, you know, let us rest here because it's ours because right. we built it. And also, what's really interesting, I wrote this down. I mean, I almost forgot um, the way the, the American flag is used in this too. He beats the voodoo yeah. mural with the American flag, and then when all of the puppets come out, he uses kind of he, he almost uses it to shelter Shut, himself. himself. Yeah, yeah. that yeah. very interesting symbolism yeah. that could be easily missed. Yes, very true, very true. I I, I did note take note of him beating the. The picture, but I didn't note the shielding. But now you a little bring that bit, up, yeah, it's yeah. very yeah. subtle. Yeah, that's that that's very true. Um, like I said, I think we mentioned it earlier before. 
you know, this is really great special effects on these dials. These dials were like, you know, I expected them to be like little cheapy little things, man. You know, like almost like Muppets. These things were cool. For 1995, yeah. For Absolutely. 19, for 1995, mm-hmm. for being a low-budget black horror film, yeah. let's be honest, this was very, very good special effects in this uh, in this um, film. I really, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the hell out of it. And then we ended with Hardcore Convert. Jerome. Lord. Crazy K. Yes, Crazy K. Played by Lamont Bentley, is a violent gang member and homicidal psychopath who has <laughs> killed many people mercilessly. He's driving down the streets of Los Angeles in his Mustang. Coming to a stoplight, he notices a car of his enemy he's been after for a long time and follows him. Crazy K parks in the neighborhood, has a brief argument with his enemy, then shoots him. In retaliation, three other men attack from a house nearby. They shooting Crazy K, and just as they are about to kill him, the police arrive at the scene. Due to one of the shooters firing at the police officers, all three gunmen are shot and killed by the officers. Crazy K is badly injured but survives, only to get arrested and sent to prison, where he uh, he has received a life sentence for suspicion of murder three times, along with other charges. I didn't know you could get a life sentence for suspicion of murder. Anyway. Uh, Thanks, do- President Clinton. <laughs> Dr. Cushing. Dr. Cushing. Subtle. <laughs> very much. Uh, played by Rosalind Cash in her final film yeah. role. Yeah. Uh, offers him a way out if he becomes part of a an experimental uh, program that she has going on there. Uh, and thus the horror begins in hardcore convert. Um, I didn't like this. I didn't like it either. I didn't like I didn't I didn't I didn't like it, it either. I think um you you know, I think of all of the pieces of this film, this is the one that has aged the aged the most badly. You, you know, I think we we all have a better understanding of sort of the forces at play when we talk about crime, when we talk about, you know, all these issues in our community. You know, I just named check Donald Trump. But, um, you know, one of the things that Hillary Clinton has been dealing with through this election is is her referring to young black men as super predators. Yeah. And part of her defense is basically, well, I wasn't the only one saying that it was black people saying it, too. And when you think about this as a film, this is a depiction of these men written, directed, produced by other black men. Mm-hmm. You you know it 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 made me very uncomfortable watching it. You know, like Crazy K and and you know even the three the three characters in the framing sequence. They're they're I mean they're super predators. Like you said, he's a homicidal maniac. Like he has no interiority. He has no kind of fears and he hopes. Like you don't really know what his kind of motivation is. He's just like, like what I wrote in my notes is that the characters in Grand Theft Auto are more nuanced than oh. Crazy K. Yeah. Yeah. Y- you know, even at the time, even in 95, this sort of um, the, 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 this sort this sort of a verbiage that people came like, you know, you're just as bad as the Ku Klux Klan and you're just killing each other. And it was just I, I, j- I just thought it was. um. Almost exploitive 
and certainly kind of misses the point, even in 1995. Like, again, I know hindsight is 2020, but even in 1995, there were voices saying that there's more going on than just, you know, quote unquote, crazy niggas shooting at each other in the street. Right. So I didn't like it at all. Ashley. No, I just have more questions than comments because I feel like so not arguing at all because you made really valid points. And I I agree. I'm I'm wondering what. Yeah. Again, kind of piggybacking off of what you said and kind of expanding it. Would it have been a a, a more well-rounded story? Not necessarily better if you know, we brought some more characterization into who he was. He was not just being just crazy K. Well, I'm, I'm glad you, because I forgot something. I think if you make him a character, mm-hmm. then you complicate what's done to him in these experiments. Mm. Because the other, I mean, it's, it's, it's just um, oppression 101. What's the first thing you do? You dehumanize a person, which then right. justifies everything you do to him. So if you made him an actual person, mm. Then all of this stuff where he's strapped in and, and, you know, and he's naked the whole time and they put him in the little cage, cage. you know, suddenly we don't see this as, again, an EC Comics justifiable punishment. Now we have to say, well, well, well what's happening here? Which, you know, kind of unintentionally is a great metaphor of, of the prison system in this country. No, I agree, because uh, that's know. the one thing I picked up on. I'm like, oh, he's just an animal. He's not even yeah. a person. And again, it is black people that made this movie. It is black people yeah. that made yeah. this movie. Um, and in the movie, it's black people that are putting him through this process. Yes. Rosalind Cash that puts him through the process. I didn't like it. Um, I see all of your points. I just didn't like it because I didn't think it was well done. I didn't... I, didn't like the acting. Uh, Lamont Dentley was getting on my nerves, and I know he was just drawing one one note, but that note he was just it just he was hitting it too hard, and it was just uh, I just really didn't like anything about it. Plus, I think after kind of because by the time you get to this one, you you've sat through the road cop, and that's a little up and down. But then you have uh, the boy will be bruised. Wow, that's really powerful. That's really some good stuff. Then you've got the comedy of of the KKK. You know Corbin Burnson, um, who which I think I think they definitely are playing that for the laughs. In right, the, right. It's yeah. a little over the top. So you've got the comedy for that, and then you've got this. And I think the intention here with this with this vignette is to speak directly to whom they think is sitting in the aisle. Exactly, exactly. This is talking to you. Right. This is talking to you. And and that's not a bad plan, but you're not talking to them. You're talking at them. Exactly. You're the old guy saying, pull your pants up. Exactly. And I think you have an opportunity to actually, you know, talk to them, to begin a conversation by giving the the characters a little bit more nuance, by not wasting Rosalind Cash in this thankless role of basically just like, you know, you know, talking all this this crazy stuff and then having lights flashing on in her face. Right. Um, I think you, you, you waste the opportunity to really open up a dialogue 
about what you're seeing because uh, I don't think that it's, it's, it's definitely a dialogue worth having like you say these, he is a super predator and to some degree whether people want to uh, agree with it or not to some degree he was indicative of some of the things that were going on in the streets of black America at that time so there is that time for really truly hard-hitting biting commentary that could have made that could have uh evoked a little bit of you know thought in the audience of like huh yeah you know what i mean but you waste that and then it's wasted even more so because you know, this story then ties into the whole framing image. Yes. Uh, framing uh, sequence, which then just becomes like another bludgeon of that point. Yes. And now you're just doubling down on that point. Although, the framing sequence, for me, is saved. Because it has Mr. Clarence Williams III in it. And, and he is an American treasure. Mm-hmm. And I love him so much. And when... And, and as... as <laughs> As the funeral home director, he is a joy. I love him so much. I love Clarence Williams III. I love post-Purple Rain Clarence Williams III. I fight any man in the room about it. Well, put on your boxing (laughs) gloves. Clarence Williams, he's he's having fun. (laughs) I see that. But... I, I, I just he was I don't kneel at this altar of Clarence William III I appreciate Clarence William III for what he did in Purple Rain yeah, and yeah, he yeah. is easily the best actor in Purple Rain yeah, but oh, yeah. one of the great things that makes him great about in Purple Rain is that when you go back and watch that film he's not in a lot of the movie and he's restrained and he's restrained he's, he's, he's believe it or not he's, res- he's restrained because he's being directed to be so but boy once he gets to Sugar Hill in this he's well, I'm. I, I I love him. He's playing. He's playing for the film. I, yeah. that's what I like. I love him. I love him. I wish he, this had been a series of films, and he was a returning character yes. like the Crypt Keeper. I agree. Wow, that's a missed opportunity. That's he's. I do agree. That's a missed opportunity. <laughs> this there easily should have been a Tales from the Hood. He could have yeah. been a Yeah. So, spoiler for a t- almost thirty year old movie. Come to find out, he's really the devil. That scene at the end where the three gangbangers are are in fear and he turns into the devil, I watched that four different times. That made me laugh so hard. It is funny, only to see when they start burning, how each of them are doing a different dance. They're doing a dance. It's the I'm burning in hell dance. Oh, I'm burning. I'm burning. I'm like, what the hell? What is Joe Torrey doing in this movie? Um, yeah, he's the devil, and, and they, they are actually dead. Uh, it was... Uh, and then he transforms into the actual devil. He, he looks like the dude from Legend. He like, does. he's just the straight up. He's... He does. He does. He 100% does look like the dude It was fantastic. Oh, my God. Oh, this was... um. 
Yeah, so this was Tales from the Hood. Tales from the Hood. Tales from the Hood, ladies and gentlemen. A, a movie that I think that, you know. Do we recommend it? Oh, wow. I do. I, well, we know you do. You said this is one of your favorite. I would recommend this because those two, uh, those two uh, vignettes in the middle, Boys, Boys Doobie Brews and KKK Come Uppance, they are worth, like, if you could just pluck them out of this movie. They would be like they would be so good on television. Mm. I'd recommend it. I'd I recommend recom- it. Just I would recommend it for that. I I, I I like an- anthologies. I like you know it's sort of my love for the seventies, and it was this quick second in the nineties where you got it, where you had black films that tried to do different things, and and you know I it certainly uh, I give a lot I, I I give a lot of dap to Spike Lee. For helping to produce this, yes, and and I really and let's give some love because there's Rusty Gundy of writer and director. I was about the other yeah. producer is Darren Scott, right? Okay, and and I like Rusty Gundy's filmography. I always thought he should have worked more. Mm. Uh, Fear of a Black Hat, I think, is a Very really underrated. underrated, interesting movie. Sprung, I feel like if Sprung had a couple of different people playing the leads, we would talk about Sprung like we talk about Love Jones. I don't know about that, but I hear you. It could have used some better acting. Yeah, admit, not even better act because you know I like him as an actor, and you know Tisha Campbell is is, is all right. Then maybe better direction. Yeah, but but it's a good movie, and and I, I wish he had worked more. So you know, I would recommend it. I would definitely recommend. I Tales would from recommend. The, I would te- recommend Tales from the Hood, and I'll be honest, I did not sit down and watch this film thinking I would be recommended. Well, I remember not liking it. Like yeah, I remember so I. actively not liking it, so I'm glad I watched it again, and I have a, a, I have more complicated feelings about it. Yeah, I think watching it now for me, I wish there were more uh, voices of women. Like, I, it, mm. like even if there was like a female co-writer and there was a, a woman's story, like you know, and again, that's another thing that's probably a little bit that doesn't that is a little bit more too nuanced i guess for the time or for whatever they were trying to create as far as this film which is what we which is obviously we see what they were trying to do um, result wise but like you know uh, 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 maybe taking out some of the stories that you didn't particularly care for and bringing in a different story that's from a a black female perspective and working with those intersections of gender and race Mm -hmm. for the time with a with a supernatural element would have been pretty cool i think it would have been very interesting to see a a woman's take on the boys do be bruised yeah just like just using that same story Mm -hmm. and just um course it is the early 90s so we we ain't really trying to hear from the ladies right now except yeah with super independent films that no one has heard of that's right this is no time for the ladies another and yet again another missed opportunity another missed opportunity but that being said you should go check out tales from the hood we yeah i caught it uh, um rented rented for like just a couple of bucks yeah, on Amazon. Amazon. Yeah, I got it from Amazon. Um, it's always around. Like they actually, it, it, but from what from what from you what, catch it on TV and but stuff. From what I, I've never caught it on TV, but from what Ashley has told me, it's it's actually not in print. There's not like a Blu-ray edition of it or anything. There's like no that. Blu-ray. Uh-huh. I mean, it's something I've wanted uh, I, from some reliable sources. I believe so. I've heard a couple of stories, and that's why, like, reli- reliable, yes, but like the story, I'm like because. First, I hear that the studio, it got lost in the fire. 
Okay. So the original print of it to to do the reproductions are like lost. Um, there's an interview on Yahoo.com. Um, I, f- I don't know because I, I I need to comb through that interview because I don't know if um, the journalist is interviewing Darren Scott or Rusty Candia, but you know towards the end of the when they were t- kind of talking about you know doing a sequel or whatever. Um, uh, the person being interviewed said, you know, the studio that didn't want a sequel, um, they still kind of don't, because um, this was back, this was, interview was done in 2015, so there's that, and also him saying, you know, if any, if if, if a old movie theater has a copy of the movie before, it, before everything went digital, please let me know, because, you know, Universal doesn't have it anymore, so hmm. there's some, there's some murky waters as far as why there's no Blu-ray, why, you know, the DVD that's not available, apparently not available to buy very easily anymore is not on Amazon. It's, it's nowhere really to be found. And like I told um, Len earlier, there's a, I was at Monster Mania and a used DVD of this film was $25, which is ridiculous. Really? Yes. And I think I, I don't remember how much I bought mine for, but it definitely wasn't the $25 and it was brand new. So... It's one of those. It's becoming one of those rare films. But yeah, you can find it digitally. It has been on Showtime. Um, but wow, wow, that's crazy. This is um, yeah, Jesus, wow. Are you out of your freaking mind? Oh yeah, what are you saying? I'm looking here. I'm looking on Amazon, mm-hmm. uh, and on Amazon uh, for Amazon Video, you can of course rent it. Um, they say in 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 standard definition or high definition it's never been reproduced in high definition no. so why would you waste your money but they don't people don't know um you can rent it from either 3.99 to 7.99 you can buy it on dvd amazon prime 125 dollars wow tales from the hood <laughs> tales from the hood there are some people listening to this very episode who are sitting on a gold mine yeah, how about that? I, I can guarantee you <laughs> that someone listening to this podcast owns a copy of Tales from the Hood. I would bet my left arm. It's funny as we're talking about this and thinking about the the, the opportunity. There is an opportunity to return to this um, to this title. It's not exact film, you know, especially if Rusty Candia for Darren Scott owns the, the, the copyrights right. to yeah. Tales from the Hood, because Netflix has um, pointedly been making a play to Af- to African American audiences. Oh um, man. Especially yes. because they just signed a, a new forty million dollar deal with Chris Rock for two new specials. Um and they have said that they want to they understand that there is an audience out there that they serve because they do have a lot of you know stuff. Yeah. Most importantly, Clarence Williams III is still alive. <laughs> oh, I got the stuff. <laughs> oh, I got the stuff. Except he didn't say stuff. I'm trying to be clean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess he could be Clarence Williams III. Donald Pleasance rode that Halloween train till the end, so you never know. He sure did, didn't he? Mm-hmm. He sure did. All right, ladies and gentlemen, um, let us know what you thought of Tales from the Hood, or uh, hit us up, email us at michellemission at gmail dot com. You can like us on Facebook at 
Michelle Mission. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Mission Michelle. And you can find our show available for your download and streaming pleasure on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and every place a good podcast be. And we can announce it now that beginning on Tuesday, October the 25th, the Michelle Mission will be airing on FM radio here in Philadelphia at eight Tuesdays at eight PM on WPPM LP one oh six point five FM on your Philadelphia radio dial. Wow. That's, that's really cool. And if you're not in Philadelphia, the show will still be it'll be streaming. You just go to Phillycam.org and you'll be able to listen to the show streaming on Tuesdays at eight PM. We will be on FM radio. It's going to be dope. Look at us. I think we're going to, like, I know you, we still plan to, like, still record the show and then just replay it. I have a funny feeling that eventually you're going to get that live bug. I mean, you, I mean, you know, you the know other it. show's live. I'm a, I mean, I'm a live dude. Okay, I'm like, just saying. Like, I know, mean, this I mean, is new to me. Podcast is new to me. So, okay. you know, you ain't said nothing but a word. All right. All right. We'll see. We'll see. Right. We'll 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 let people yes. tell us whether or not they want to hear us live right, or they right. enjoying you know. Either way, it's still we'd the be like the little girl. Podcast. Why not both? It's like the little girl and the, why not both? Why not both? And Ashley, where where can we hear you? See you? Well, first, congratulations on FM radio. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Um, I am on Twitter at Graveyard Sister. Uh, you can also find Graveyard Shift Sisters on the on. Multiple platforms, Facebook, Tumblr, and Google+. Plus. Yeah. Um, and uh, also, I do the Girls Will Be Ghouls podcast. Um, you can find us on Twitter at GW. Wait, girls will. <laughs> GW. See, you can't keep up with your stuff. I can't keep up with it. Podcast. <laughs> also, girlswillbeghouls.wordpress.com. I co-host that with um, lovely Zena on Twitter. She's also Zena Shade Dixon of therealqueenofhorror.com. Oh. All right. And you can are, are you going to be able to come out to Abby? Oh, absolutely! Nice. So That's there right. you go. Don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, Ashley will be at Abby. <laughs> we will be screening Abby, the Black Exorcist, on Friday, October twenty eighth, at the Amalgam Comics and Coffee House at nine nine p.m. Um, but doors open at eight. Going to have a whole lot of fun. We're going to be doing the show with Ashley from Graveyard Shift Sisters and Girls. Will be ghouls, as well as with Tom Laporter and his whole crew from the Don't Touch My Coffin podcast. Um, We are going to have an original Abby Punch created by uh, noted mixologist Summer Willow Fitch. We're going to have prizes for people. We're going to, and we're going to record a live podcast right before the screening. It's going to be so much fun. We really hope that you can come out and join us. Because it's free. It's free. Come on out. Hang with Vince and Len as we record our very first live pot, uh, podcast of the Michelle Mission. It's going to be fun. I can't wait. I cannot wait. All right, ladies and gentlemen. He's Vince. I'm Len. That's Ashley. And parting, we say. We'll see you when it's time to meet again.
Now it's time to bid adieu. It's been a pleasure knowing you. I'll see you when it's time to meet again.